Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Those here at this church, I've enjoyed the company of other brothers to be able to do this ministry. And so I want us to uh, be aware that two of them are off with our youth. And so there's a large uh, void in our congregation that's missing here this morning, but we know that they're having a great time at their retreat and camp, and so we just want to encourage them uh, in prayer, um, pray that they have open minds and open hearts to what uh, the team at Snowbird was sharing with them this weekend, and that they come back transformed by the power of the Spirit uh, to reach uh, their generation with the gospel message. That's what we're hoping for. So be with, uh, just think about them as they travel, um, that they come back safe. And Barry as well, he's uh, preaching at the church this morning as well and ministering to another body of believers. And we just pray for him as he delivers that message as well. Today, uh, my passage is going to be from Romans 15. So as you're turning to Romans 15, uh, verses 14 through 33. I want to remind us a little bit that we are just a few weeks away from completing our study of the book of Romans. Um, It's hard to believe uh, that it's gone by that fast in some regards because this is uh, a huge book uh, of the Bible and uh, we've been learning a lot up to this point. Uh, The first 11 chapters uh, covered the need for the gospel, Um, the gospel being, of course, the good news of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to die for our sins. Um, And then we took a little bit of a slight break um, to lay basically a a strong foundation for the church, for our church specifically, that we wanted to make sure that we got this gospel foundation uh, solidified, uh, that we um, got some rhythms in place, and of course um, that we've got uh, a proclamation, that we've become the proclamation to declare um, God's word. So our gospel foundation, of course, I'm going to remind everybody, had three aspects to it. Of course, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We learned that early. And that's called in the church justification. We've been justified by Christ because he was the ultimate sacrifice for those sins. Second, we're being saved completely each day from the power of sin. Why? Because we're all sinners. We, we still sin, but we need that saving grace. And so we're being saved, and that process as we continue to live less sinless lives, hopefully, as we grow in the, in the Lord, it's called sanctification in the church. It's how to live a more godly life, how to follow and become more like Jesus. And then third, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Sin's going to be gone when the trumpet blows and Christ returns. And that's what the church calls glorification. So justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the beauty of the gospel is Uh, being, for those of us who are believers, that Jesus paid that debt for our sin, we're now forgiven from all our sins from now until eternity, until we do receive those glorified bodies. And so, what do we do in the meantime? What does life look like for us? Well, we learn from Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, that as living sacrifices to be used as God's witness and bearers of this gospel, Paul says, I appeal to you, 
therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And of course, we learned um, how to live this new life out a little bit, and we learned that we're, we're in the church are going to practice some gospel rhythms that help us to live that out, and we're going to use an acrostic called bless to do that. Uh, we intentionally bless others through serving, encouraging, and giving. That's the first B. And then we listen. We intentionally listen to other stories. We eat. We're going to intentionally eat through sharing meals, drinks, and moments. And then we're going to speak. We intentionally are going to speak the truths of Jesus by graciously and boldly proclaiming the gospel in all scenarios of life. And then the last part of that is we're going to slow down. We're going to recreate. We're going to intentionally work and rest and pause to remember that one, first, we are God's mission. We are his children. And as we are on God's mission, the mission of life together, it is not our mission, it is his mission. And so we need to recognize that. And then we also learned, I taught uh, on this part of it, that we need to live out this new life. What is it look like to live out this new life. And the first thing we need to know, or we needed to know, was we must abide in Jesus daily. That means we communicate with him through prayer and that we are in his word, hearing from him through his word what he has to say to us. And so we also must live, though, the teaching of Jesus. There's a series of teachings that Jesus taught on us how to live in this world, and we need to live that out in the community of believers we need to do that through our worship together collectively like we do today. We need to do that in communities of other than worship. And we at Point Church use missional communities to do that. And then we learn, need to learn how to be disciples of Jesus who disciple others. And we do that in smaller three to four people groups called DNA. And DNA groups are discover, nurture, and act. We need to learn how to discover what it is to live this disciple-making life. We need to nurture that in each other, and then we need to act it out to make others become disciples as well. And we need to declare the ultimate thing, every opportunity, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So Corey then picked back up in Romans 13, and he talked about being citizens of the kingdom of God, the already and the not yet. Remember that discussion? We're already there in the kingdom of God. It's here, but it's also not yet. We're in the process of becoming. And we need to live all of life by the power of the gospel with a posture of anticipation for the moment that Christ returns. Remember that? He called this from the example of Martin Luther when Martin Luther said there's two days to life. There's today and there's that day, right? And so... We need to live our life with that day, the end in mind, the return of Jesus. And we need to do it this day, live this day in actionable love, living out those one another's to each other. We need to become what we need to become to each other 
to help us to live for that day. And then Josh last week started us off in Romans uh, 14 and 15, the first start of what I'm about to share with you today. And he shared this big idea that Christians who are being transformed by the gospel pursue unity in that community, in the church. And of course, without demanding what? Uniformity. We don't need to look like each other. We don't need to have the same ideas and all that kind of stuff. But we need to be in unity on the mission of the gospel message. And he asked this one question. Will we be a mirror to reflect sin <laughs> to the rest of everybody or to condemn everybody for the sin? Or will we be a road map, right? Somebody pointing in direction to the gospel, Jesus, for their direction. He shared that living in community means that we are going to fight for our unity by refusing to quarrel over secondary matters, issues that are not important, but not despising one another, be, by welcoming one another like Jesus welcomed us, by sacrificing our freedom for others' growth in Christ, and be, by recognizing the sin and the motives and the hope we all have in common. Now he brings us up to where we are in Romans 15. You see, this epistle as it's known, or this letter to the Romans is now ending. It's about to close. Paul completely shifts. He's made his main points and he completely shifts from his teaching to an exhorting and his explaining and all that kind of stuff to personal matters. He immediately shifts to personal. See, he has desired for a while to visit the believers in Rome. And yet, again, here he's about to tell them that he's unable to do so. It's a perfect example of how our plans and our desires sometimes are not God's will. And for Paul... You'll see, this is all about God's will. He has desires to come to Rome, but he can't because he's got his mission for God. He's got God's plan in mind. And so from this point until the end of the closing sentence of Romans, he begins to model to us what being a gospel-driven disciple is all about. Paul is good at modeling, and I love the way he models different things throughout Scripture and throughout his writings. And some of these we're going to see in here in his instruction. He is modeling for us what a sin discipleship looks like. He's a sinner saved by grace. He has the same struggles as everybody else, but he's living as a disciple to the best of his ability, falling under the will of God and he shares a little bit of what that's like in this part of his scripture. You see, he is setting a pace for those he is ministering to. And fortunately for us, he recorded it. <laughs> and we get to read of these types of incidents in scripture. Paul here, for whatever reason, begins to lay out an excuse for not coming. That's what this is. This is just an excuse of why he can't be where he wants to be. 
He's about to complete his third missionary journey, and he is in Corinth. And if we had a map, I don't know if Nancy was able to find one. She wasn't able to get one. And he is about only four to 500 miles away from Rome. The Adriatic Sea is between him and the peninsula of Italy, which is where he's headed. He's in Corinth, in Greece, modern-day Greece. And he's writing this letter from Corinth. And we learn in this chapter that he must tell them that he just can't do it. In fact, he's about to tell them that he's going 800 miles in the opposite direction back to Jerusalem. And then, maybe, if God wills, he's coming to visit them. So, if you're like me, you look at this excuse in the Bible and go, why in the world is this in the Bible? Why is this here? Why did they preserve this text in the New Testament? How can Paul's excuse possibly be of value to us? You see, in most cases, an ancient excuse would not you know, be of value to anybody in our day and age. But I will submit to you that Paul's excuse has great value, great value not only for those that he was talking to, but us who can kind of eavesdrop in on that conversation. This letter, I can't tell you from a student of the Scripture, this letter to me is full of so much. In fact, when I was studying to present it to you, I'm like, how am I going to be able to consolidate all that we learn about Paul and his ministry example here in this passage? There's just a lot to unpack. We learn so much here on proclaiming the gospel, administering the church, and the ministry of intercessory prayer. We'll learn a little about that. He's growing the church. He's teaching and modeling what that looks like. He's counseling. He's confessing. And he's interceding all within this few verses. But here also, Paul reveals his priorities for living out his life and the basis of his plans for future ministry. Paul informs us as his readers how he determined in a practical daily basis how to follow the will of God. That's what he's doing. This excuse really starts in Romans 12. He starts to lay the foundation for this that he's about to present in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. When he says, again, that passage I shared, that he appeals to us to be living sacrifices, that we need to transform and renew our minds. This is now, this excuse is an example of Paul living that out in front of the Romans. This is that example. He desires to do certain things. He desires to come and visit them and to be in fellowship with them and to be in community with them. But you know what? He also must yield to who? To God and the power of his will. And so Paul starts off this excuse 
with something that surprises everybody. He praises and encourages the good that he sees in the growth that he recognizes in the Romans. He starts our passage off. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You see, Paul wrote Romans to remind these growing Christians of the fundamentals of our faith. There is nothing new in this book, in all seriousness. Nothing new about the gospel. But all of it has been vital. So some of you in here are probably saying, yeah, I went, I've been through Romans before. I've read it. There's really nothing new. I didn't, knew, I didn't learn anything new specifically in Romans at all. I would caution you, though, in this, because this is why I really believe Paul wrote Romans. If we forget the fundamentals of the Christian faith, it's like being on a sports team. What do they say? What happens when you forget the fundamentals in sports? You're going to lose the game, right? If we forget the fundamentals of our Christian faith, guess what? We're not going to make it. We had to have the fundamentals of the gospel. You see, in, in these Roman Christians, they didn't necessarily maybe need to be taught or corrected, but if they didn't, why did he write the letter? And again, like I said, this letter is probably one of the most extensive doctrinal letters written in Scripture ever. But were his words wasted? Were they wasted on us these last several weeks? How many weeks have we gone through Romans? Have they been wasted? Were the words anything new? Paul understood men and women and precisely what they need. He did not write this epistle to inform as much as to remind. He did not write Romans to be innovative as much as he wanted to reiterate everything that they should know about the foundations of the gospel. You see, most of us as pastors devote our lives to teaching the Bible. And how about you? But when I learn something new, I'd like to share that, right? But there really is nothing new. It may be a new idea. It may be innovative to me. But if I'm not sharing the gospel message to you so that you understand it and you can live it, then I'm wasting my words. Those innovations are not new. So we don't want to depart from the fundamentals. We want to stay on the fundamentals of the gospel of Jesus. We are responsible as ministers of that message to make sure that it's clear. So the important lesson here in this first part, if we don't get anything else, is new and novel truth is a dangerous thing. How do we know this? 
Well, you see, Paul was in Athens, a little town just before Corinth, just before he writes this letter. And in his, in his mind, there's this freshness on his mind as he writes this letter in Romans from his visit to Athens. So if we turn back to Acts chapter 17, 16, and 21, and pick up on this third missionary journey as he's traveling through Athens, Athens, we learn this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, the wise men of their day, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him basically to a public house, to the Arpagus, um, which is in the middle of the city, saying, we may know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be very, very careful when we have teachers from the pulpit say there's something new. Because new means there's false gospels out there. You see, just like in Athens, our culture is full of idols. And Paul has wanted to make sure that the Romans, and therefore us, avoid those idols and know what the truth of the gospel message is. You see, Paul has a vision for what he wants everyone to know, what he wants them to believe with all their hearts, and how he wants them to act that out in living this new life as a living sacrifice. But he does this tactfully. Notice what he says to the Romans here in this verse. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. I think that's the best way of saying, look, I know I stepped on your toes (laughs) and I told you how you should live. But I wanted to make sure that you understand that we're all under grace. Because God has been gracious to Paul, he desired to extend that grace to the Romans and ultimately to all of us by speaking the truths of the gospel in love. Whether Paul felt that they were not taught completely the truths of the gospel or whether they needed to hear it again, we're not sure. But we know and we're grateful for this reminder that he does give. He wrote 
this letter so that we can be certain of this gospel, of the fundamentals of our faith. And Paul explains here this as a reminder to us. One, we have to be bold in our presentation of the gospel, the foundation, the fundamentals of the truth. Paul knows he believes and he acts with all conviction to fulfill his ministry here to the Romans by stating, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, he longs for them and for us to become holy, living sacrifices, offerings for God. Paul speaks of himself as a priest who is offering a sacrifice to God, the sacrifice of every Gentile that has come to believe in Jesus Christ. His desire and motivations are to present every one of us as believers. And he's trying to do it across the entire ancient world. He wants them to be a sacrifice which is acceptable to God through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. His ministry, whether from a distance, whether in this letter, in person, whatever, is directed toward edification and sanctification of the church to the glory of the Father. You see, we see this kind of language throughout his letters. If you're a student of Paul and you enjoy what he writes, you'll see it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. He says, Him, Jesus, the gospel we preach. And I love this. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present what? Every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He's given his whole life. If you were to sum up his life purpose, he would tell you this was it. That every man would be made mature in Christ by whatever means necessary to make that possible. See, this is Paul's ministry a proclamation, proclaiming the good news and bringing forth fruit. So number three for us would be our goal in ministry should be to edify and build up our fellow believers so that we might present them to God as a pleasing offering. Paul then gives testimony to the power of God and the Holy Spirit here in Romans when he goes on to say, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What this means is Paul has been halfway around the Mediterranean. If you were to see a map, it looks like a big, huge arch. 
He's almost gotten to Rome, but he's covered the entire eastern and northwest eastern side of the Mediterranean. It's a huge thousands of thousands of miles that he's walked in three missionary journeys to accomplish this work. The work has been great and it's been exciting, but you know what? It's also had its troubles and its tribulations. But he gives who the credit? All the credit and the glory belongs to the Holy Spirit through him for the Gentiles to come to Christ in obedience. He gives glory to the Father. So what do we learn from here? We need to learn that we need to boast about what God is doing by sharing testimonies. Not what man does in this church, but what is God doing in this church? He is transforming lives, and we need to celebrate, but we need to boast in the Lord for His greatness. Paul goes on to tell the Romans, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told have, have of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. See, Paul is a learned man. He's, he's different from the other apostles in the fact that he grew up being trained in the church of his day. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained under Gamaliel. That was his trainer. And he learned scripture. And so he's automatically going to do what? He's going to quote it. And he quotes Isaiah throughout Romans, as we pointed out previous. And he quotes it here again, because Isaiah is professing Christ and what's going to happen when Christ comes. And Paul firmly believes now in what Isaiah said, and he's going to quote him. And so he quotes from Isaiah here about the message of the gospel, getting out to people everywhere and them coming to believe. He shares with, this, with the Romans so that they might desire what? To share with him in the mission. Paul's ambitions are these. He wants to please God by preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Jews. And he wants to live in and enjoy the community of believers. And the letter to Romans is not a chastisement. It's a, it's, it's a reminder of the foundations of faith and to set them on fire to get involved in the mission. Because he's about to do a big ask in the next portion of this letter, and we're going to get to it in a minute. But he wants to live in the community of believers, and then the final thing he wants to do is he wants to labor in fresh fields. He wants to go to the lost. Not those he's already preached. He's been there three times now. He wants to go to Spain. He wants to go beyond and so the fifth thing we learn to hear is that we need to take the gospel to those who have not heard it. He also shares that it's been his mission that has kept him from visiting them. And he says this, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered for coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey, listen to this, be helped on my journey 
there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Hint, hint, I'm going to make an ask. (laughs) I want you to help me to get to Spain. That's what he's trying to say here. He's trying to get the Romans to realize it's not all about them. It's not about your immediate era. You need to start thinking about your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Now that you've reminded you of this gospel message, what are you supposed to do with it? Spread it. Now that we remind you, Jew church, of the gospel message of Romans, what do we want you to do? Spread it. So what do you have to do to spread it? Number six, you have to be on the lookout for other mission opportunities. See, Paul is already on a mission. We're about to learn that. And he lets the Romans know that he's already involved in a mission. He said that present, however, I'm I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. He's just visited Macedonia and Achaia, and he says, I've been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and they indeed owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them and material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have it delivered to them what has been collected, I will, I will leave for Spain, what? By way of you. So he convinced Achaia and Macedonia and other churches that they needed to, what? Be on mission. And he's now collected this offering as a part of that mission, and he's going to take it back to Jerusalem. It's a hint, hint, guys, Romans, guess what? I want you on mission, and I'm going to come by way of you because I'm going to enlist your help so that we can reach another part of the lost, right? That's what he's about to do. But the lesson we can learn from him here, because we know Jerusalem was not going to be easy. If you read the the last book of the last part of Acts from 17 on, you're going to see what that trip to Jerusalem and how it took place. So I'm going to leave that as your homework assignment. Read the rest of Acts. <clears throat> but the lesson we can learn from here is if you start a mission, complete the mission you start. See, Paul has a conviction that when, when and if he does come, that it will be of God's doing. And he makes this little statement after that one I just read. It says, I know that when I come to you, when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. In other words, in God's timing, in God's leading. How many years, does anybody already know? Have they looked at the book? How many years does it take him from the time he writes this letter to Romans to the time he actually shows up in Rome and changed, actually. He's Rome in prison. It takes years. <laughs> it takes years. Was it his will and his plan to get there earlier? I bet it was. Was it his will and the plan to get to Spain? I surely bet it was. <clears throat> Did it happen? No. Why? Because he yielded to God's will. It didn't stop him from the work. It didn't stop him from completing his task and his missions. But he allowed himself to be used And the most important thing we can learn from this 
is beyond a shadow of doubt, he trusted the Lord's leading. He trusted the Lord's leading. Paul trusted the Lord when he told him to go to Jerusalem. He had all these people tell him, no, don't go there. It's going to be bad for you. It's not going to be good. Don't go. But he said, I can't. I've I got to do what God's called me to do. I've got to complete my mission. And he goes. Trust the Lord. He's given us a mission for this community. He's given you each individually a mission for somebody in your in your heart and mind that needs the gospel message, trust the Lord that He will do it in His timing. It may not be now. It may not be today. It may be years from now. But we need to trust. And we need to step out and do what God calls us to do. See, Paul then, at the very end, asks something very powerful. That we all need to go and become more better at. He asked them to pray and to intercede on his behalf for some specific things on his journey to Jerusalem. We need to learn to ask God for specific things through intercessory prayer. His example here is he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by, your, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit to strive together with me in prayer. You know what this strife is? together means the strife is to agonize in prayer. When was the last time that we as a body or even as individuals agonized in prayer for the lost around us? When did we agonize over getting the gospel out? He said, I want you to do that. I want you to agonize to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. From the lost, who they knew they were going to do him harm in some way. And that my service for Jerusalem, my, my completion of my mission, may be acceptable to the saints, those that are believers there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. You see, Paul is sharing from his heart just how difficult going to Jerusalem is going to be. And he longs for them to pray that we will go according to the will of God. Being in this world, in this culture of idols, we're going to have a difficult time of proclaiming the gospel. We need to agonize in prayer for those who are and for us that need to share the gospel. We need to agonize and we need to go and be faithful and follow what God calls us to do according to His will. The ninth thing we learn here is interceding in prayer. We have to intercede in prayer for those on the mission field. And then the final, as I close, and the praise team can start coming forward. Paul prays this closing prayer for the Romans. It's just a short, about nine letter, nine, ten words at the most. But in this short prayer, it covers quite a bit. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. May the God of peace be with you all. 
This is a reminder that we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for the harvest. You who believe are the harvest of God. And we need to pray that you go out into the fields to harvest others. So the tenth thing we learn is to pray for the harvest. I'm going to do a simple review for though, because I know it's been a lot. I'm going to run these ten things down again. There's no, no, nothing new and novel that's out there. Nothing new. In fact, anything that comes up as new is a dangerous thing. There's a gospel of prosperity that's out there that now is preached from the pulpits. Come to know the Lord and everything's going to be great. Paul never said that. There's nowhere in Scripture anybody said, you may surrender. Take up your cross, Jesus says, and follow me. Taking up your cross means that you will, may lose your life for my sake. Doesn't mean that we're going to live in prosperity. There's another one that says there's a the gospel of social justice. Everybody needs to be equal in this fight. And I'm not saying we're not equal in the eyes of the Lord. We are. But to sit here and say globally we can make everybody financially equal is not going to happen. And oh, by the way, Jesus said, what did he do? He came to preach to the poor. What? The gospel message. What are we to do? Do the same. The best thing we can give anybody, it's not financial success, not financial prosperity. The best thing we can do for everybody on the face of this earth is present the gospel message. And to do that, number two, we need to be bold in that presentation of the gospel. And our goal, number three, in ministry should be to edify and build up our fellow believers so that we might present them to God as a pleasing offering. The best thing we can do as elders in this church is to mature you in Christ, to train you up in the Lord, that you become a sacrifice pleasing to Him. Number four, we need to boast about what God is doing by sharing the testimonies of where we see God at work in our body. What is he doing at Point Church? Is he moving? And I can tell you, yes, he is. Lives are changing. People are believing. They're getting baptizing. They're coming to faith, and they're growing in their faith. Praise the Lord. Praise God. He's doing it in our midst. We need to five, take the gospel to those who've never heard it. We all know people out there that don't know the gospel. We need to take it to them. Number six, we need to be on the lookout for other mission opportunities. We tell our missional communities all the time, be on the lookout. There's a mission right there in your community that you need to be involved in. You need to go where God's at work and you need to join him in that work. Number seven, we need to complete the missions that we start. If we start something, we need to see it through. Number eight, we need to trust the Lord's leading. He will guide us. He's in control. He has a plan. We need to fall into his will. Number nine, 
we need to inter- intercede, and that should be we need to agonize in prayer for those on the mission field and for ourselves as we go on mission. And then number 10, we need to pray for the harvest. I'm going to close in prayer, and then they're going to lead us in our final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you, and we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. Father, I thank you for reminding us the reasons for the gospel. Thank you for reminding us that we have been saved from sin, that we're continually being saved from sin, and that we will ultimately have no sin left. It won't be present. Father, we ask that you help each of us to live as living sacrifices to you, that we would be on mission for you, that you would help us as a community to reach out to those who are lost. And Father, I pray first and foremost that we would intercede in prayer every day. That we wake up and pray for those that needed to be know you. That we would pray for for leaders to grow into the harvest, that we would pray that we would become disciples who are part of those harvesters. Lord, we just pray that you would just, right now also, be with the lost. Help them to come to you by whatever means necessary that people would come and present the gospel message in a clear way that everybody would understand and believe and come to know you. Father, help us to be on your mission, not on our mission, but on your mission. And as Paul exemplified for us, it's not our desires. We desire great things but it's your will that we abide by. And it's your will that we will live for. Father, we ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.